Whenever you're ready. Okay. <clears throat> Hello and welcome to In Star Trek We Trust. On this episode, we will be discussing Strange New World, Season 2, Episode 5, Charades. My name is Ethan, I'm one of your hosts. My name is Kevin, the other host, and we have officially hit the halfway mark of Season 2. This is Episode 5, directed by Jordan Canning and written by Catherine Lynn and Henry Alonzo Myers. So these are some new names. I don't really, Jordan Canning, I don't know, has no previous Star Trek directing history. This is her first episode, uh, but she's been directing for almost 20 years. Does a lot of short films, particularly early in her career, but has moved on to television since then. But she has directed things like Shit's Creek, Saving Hope, Family Law, and she's due to direct three episodes of the upcoming Fraggle Rock revival. I'm excited for that. I was a big Fraggle Rock kid. No thought. Didn't have Disney Channel at that time, so I never saw it. No, it was HBO. It was HBO, actually. It was on HBO? Yep. Oh, interesting. And then um, one of the co-writers, Catherine Lynn, she... So get this. She was initially hired as a canon consultant on Star Trek Lower Decks. Wow. Mm. So they do have people who uh, look out for that, who watch out for that stuff. But she wrote... At least Lower Decks does. She wrote Lower Decks. She wrote the episode Wage Dooge, which I th think was the debut of Shaq. Not Shaq's. The Shaq's replacement. Okay. Um, and... Yeah, and um, charades co-written with Henry Alonzo Meyer. So she's well, only written two. She's only written two episodes of Trek, but I'm a little bit surprised that there was a canon consultant writing on this one, and I'll explain why when we get to our. She probably time. knows it. So, I would assume she knows it so well that maybe, you know, I don't know, but um, she doesn't really have a lot of credits. She's of course strange. New, she's been a producer on Strange New Worlds for. Um, the last five episodes, she was executive producer on a show or film called uh, 3022, associate producer on Fear Incorporated. So not this is I think this is her first writing credit. She did co-write the episode for next week, which is called These Old Scientists, which has which is the long-anticipated Lower Decks crossover. So actually going over the history, that kind of makes sense. And then Henry, Henry Alonzo Meyer, of course, is the co-creator of Stranger Worlds, and he has a number of episodes under his belt already. So, so we've got some uh, new faces in addition to some older ones, some veteran faces to Trek. So, But yeah, so charades, we are, like I said, we are Try at the it. we are at the halfway point of season two already, which is yeah. crazy to think about. Interesting that the title of the episode is taken from such a small element of the episode. Yeah, well, see, I didn't think when I heard that the episode was called Charades. I mean, I didn't think it would be literal. I thought 
it kind of makes sense in a way. Like it's sort of like a funny play on that because Spock is probably, I kind of assumed that Spock was human and he was pretending to be Vulcan. So it's like he was playing charades, you know, like, so I think it was, I think it was more meant to be metaphorical. That's what I thought, but I'm sure that still, I'm sure that maybe still applies. Yeah, that works. But that's how I, that's how I looked at it. So let me ask you this. If you'll indulge me for a moment. So, Halfway in, season two. How are you feeling? It's okay. I have no... It's fine. I like it. I don't like it as much as last season, but I was pumped yeah. about it. Yeah. Uh, but it's good. it's good. I think it has, for the most part, maintained its quality. I, I would agree with you. It's It's just... I think it's dipped just a little bit, and I think... I would actually blame the episode tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow for that. That's the one that I felt like really kind of brought it down just a little bit. But overall, I think it's more or less maintained the quality of last season. I don't think it's got, I don't think it's gotten, well, I mean, you have tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, then you also have the episode where number one was on trial, which was excellent. So, yeah. I, I think num- season one felt more consistent in quality. This one, I'd say somewhat consistent, but, you know, they went up pretty high, but then they dipped down just a little bit. So mm-hmm. um, does that equate to it being the same? I don't know. But I think we have to give them a lot of credit for doing something that I think we always wanted <clears throat> right. to, do, to shine more of a spotlight on the other bridge character. Right. So between the two seasons, they're sort of giving everyone their moments to shine and be right. at the center of a story, at least a B story. Right. But the thing I really have to give them credit for, and I think it happens again in this episode, is that their B stories are actually giving characters full character arcs in a B story. Right. And we get it here. We open up with Chapel, and I think Chapel. <laughs> is the center of the B story and she totally has a a nice arc. So I think she's kind of like the, she's in a way she's almost like the, the, um, the underdog of the episode. I mean, it does focus on Spock, but I mean, it begins and ends with her. I mean, she bookends the episode and I actually felt like it was more of a chapel episode than it was a Spock episode. Yeah. Because it doesn't have to be defined. Yeah. There certainly was the B story, but it's almost like an A2, A.2 or something. Yeah. I was going to say A.A or something like that. But I think, I think what, I mean, because I wouldn't say that you don't have to be like featured the most to be the one that, like, you know, for the episode to be about you. I just feel like she very much plays a role in all of it. And even though she may not be seen, even though she doesn't have as much screen time as Spock does, but yeah, I, it was good to get some focus on her and get, I I like the observation you make that even though she may be the primary focus of the B story, it still felt complete from beginning to end. It felt like she started someplace and ended someplace. So. Yeah. And I think we, we just got that with Ortegas. So, um, you know, they're making good use of their resources. 
in in going online and looking at the chat to see what people were saying about this episode one consistent comment i've seen from um fans is they kind of are now retroactively going back and looking at episodes like a mock time and you know episodes that that featured christine chapel even though she was never really a primary focus outside of the episode the original series what are little girls made of and they it's like they're all suddenly realizing like yeah you know she wasn't really featured all that much on that show and it's like she really wasn't i mean i said this from the beginning when when she was announced as a character on the show i said it'll be interesting to kind of get some development for her because she wasn't really she was just kind of there in a lot of scenes but she didn't really she just added some dialogue but nothing nothing really felt too specific to her it was like she would deliver dialogue that almost anybody could have deli- could have delivered so the mock time where a mock time yeah mostly the whole vibe sort of is oh nurse chapel you stupid lady you're never gonna make spock love you that's kind of the whole vibe of it now of course bones may not know the history right between them well i gotta tell you so and we'll we'll I think this is something you definitely want to talk about. So I also did watch a mock time after this and you know, like sometimes you may watch a film and then you may watch a, you know, like a prequel to a film. And then sometimes you go back and watch the movie that it's supposed to be a prequel to. And sometimes it's like, I don't know. They're kind of like, yeah, I guess it works. I don't know. And sort of I'm watching this and I'm watching the scenes between Spock and chapel. And even though, a mock time is not written to suggest that they even have any sort of past. I still felt like, yeah, like what happened on Strange and Worlds, I definitely feel like is there. I definitely, it definitely works for me. Yeah. And I think it helps a lot that he's Vulcan. Right. Because, of course, anything's going to be very subtextual, whatever. Right. Yeah. So that's, I think, why it works. And I love that because I don't think the original series, I mean, I certainly don't know if it's implied in the actual script. For a mock time, but I look at it and think, yeah, I mean, you could you could interpret it anyway if if it's even meant to be interpreted. But I'm sure I I personally think it was written like the two of them didn't have a past, and even though that's not explicitly stated, the fact that we see it happen on Strange and Rose and go back and watch this one, it still for me fits and works well. It's not like oh they're kind of like they're taking too much liberty with something that may or may not have been suggested but as i watch it i'm thinking yeah like i i think yeah the events of that episode i think i can see it i can see it here now they were it works now for me so certainly could very well be that they had a something and then it ended and she always kind of carried a torch as they say for it right so like there have been similar episodes in the past where trek has done this kind of thing so there are two there are well there's kind of three episodes i can that come to mind so there's actually an episode of voyager in the first season called faces where balana torres is split in two one fully human side and one fully klingon side so there's two of her that's probably the most direct similarity but then as i mentioned you know you had episodes like voyages episode body and soul with the doctor inhabits seven of nine and so she's acting all kinds of you know crazy with him inside of her but it also makes me think of you know an episode we've talked about you know ages ago tuvix so this is where tuvok and neelix are combined so 
this once again using a plot device that we've seen sort of versions of in the past yet again strange new worlds manages to use this to very refreshing effect and i gotta tell you watching this episode watching ethan peck play spock but play him as fully human i must have had maybe like four or five laugh out loud moments throughout the show because i just they talk about like you know Vulcan. they i think they stated it either this week or a couple weeks ago like vulcans have emotions and they're actually more extreme than humans and we certainly saw that on full display this week he he doesn't just laugh like he actually really really laughs but he was human right so there shouldn't have been vulcan emotions well you, that's true but All yeah right. i guess but because that brings me to one of my yeah one of my issues now i don't hate to be the people do they even watch the show yeah but he says when he first becomes human they ask him how he's doing he says these feelings, they're so intense. Yeah. And we all know that Vulcan emotions are more intense than human emotions. So that I, was a... I, in a way, feel like maybe there's some mental thing at play there. I don't know. Yeah. Don't mind yeah. that much. Just fun to notice these things and wonder if there was thought behind it. Because if they used any other word than intense... It would have been okay, but I know that's like the specific thing that's said about Vulcan emotions are more intense than human emotions. Right. But he, I mean, he had moments. It was particularly like in the montage scene. It's like right after he becomes human, then you see him. They're kind of replaying the situations he was playing. He was in earlier when he was actually half human, half Vulcan. So, you know, it's him in the mess hall in 10 forward talking with the rest of the crew. They're telling a funny story. It's him cooking with Pike. He's... My favorite was when he was in the uh, meeting and he's like, oh, we got to see George Kirk again for the first time. And we have because we haven't seen him at all this season. Yeah, it was great. And he's getting pissed off at him with the. Yeah. Every time I see George Kirk, I feel the same way. (laughs) Right. So I loved seeing Spock because what I like about it is that what it also taught me about Spock is that deep down, he's also a little OCD, which never really occurred to me before. Which yeah. kind of makes sense, but like you now see him acting out that OCD because George Kirk didn't put his plate and coffee yes, mug yeah. away. They have this underlying rage against people that's like, how could you not be as logical as is obvious that you should be? Right. So they're right. kind of angry all the time if people feel logic. Did you like them revisiting the awkwardness between Spock and Chapel and more or less? resolving it this week uh well i didn't feel like it was something that was lingering that needed solving no, because we know where they I end up on a mock time anyway that was the awkwardness between spock and Laon. i thought that was the funniest yeah when um he's kind of asking her to give him a rundown of human emotions and said desire and then he has this awkward look and he realizes oh my god i'm attracted to Laon. What, what what the hell and then she kind of leaves awkwardly because she realizes it too. I thought yeah. that scene was. Um, yeah, I thought it was well handled. Yep. Um, I didn't love the the only part. Of the, I didn't love the love triangle. I thought that was sort of the part I found was the weakest. I liked the episode. I didn't love the love triangle aspect. 
mm-hmm. on first viewing. Yeah. On second viewing, though, I think the the most important thing, and I don't know if this came up because we didn't see Spock and Tupring break up or take them apart, but <clears throat> I think it's very clear that Tupring knows that there's something between Spock and Chapel. Right. Because when Chapel comes in with his vitamins that are needed for his um, recovery, they're the camera three times cuts to a close-up of T'Pring. And each time she's making kind of a strange face. It goes like from Spock and Chapel to T'Pring and back yeah. and forth. Yeah. And I think it's very, very clear that she knows something's up. And then when she comes out and she has like a tear in her eye and T'Pring mm-hmm. clearly sees that. It makes me think of that scene last season when T'Pring is on screen. It's the episode with Angel, I believe. And Spock and Chapel have to kind of play it off like they're in some kind of a relationship and they kiss in front of T'Pring on screen, even though it was all just an act. It was not explained to T'Pring in that moment, but because I had the same thought you did. And even though it was explained to her later on, I wondered if she had some sort of lingering suspicion from that, you know, from that moment. Is that kind of... I mean, right. does, is that where it began, really? Even though it was all just an act, is that kind of where it began? Could be, could be. Did you find yourself trying to fill in the gaps between this and a mock time? E- I'm thinking, how did they get married? Not really. Knowing, why did Tupring do what she did to Spock? What right. happened in, in between? Because she's so horrible to him. In, right. Um, it's illogical how horrible. Actually, no, I guess she explains the logic of it. I don't, I, you know, I, I didn't because I feel like we still have a little bit to, I mean, we don't know how long, how many seasons the show is going to run, but I feel like she's going to be, if, if Stranger Worlds would have run like, say, five seasons, I feel like T'Pring is going to be a recurring presence throughout, right? I don't think they're going to like halfway into like season three or something like that, drop her, and then we're never going to see her again. I could I could actually maybe even see the series ending with the two of them getting married, or maybe getting married right before. Because when A Mock Time begins, you watched it more recently than I did, there's not really an implication that Spock and Dupring are, like, having trouble, correct? It's just, she's just exists as his wife, and nobody really knows. Nobody knew yet yeah. that they were married. Not that he had a wife or not. Right. They, they were married. Yeah, that was it. Right. So it could all fit with this. Perhaps he just never told anyone because he's a weird Vulcan. See, and that's, for some reason, I I had it in my head that a mock time opens up with the two of them already sort of like in trouble, like their marriage in trouble. Mm. And... So I was kind of like waiting for that moment on the show where T'Pring and Spock sort of separate. I don't know why I thought that was the case. I think because I just hadn't watched the the episode in quite some time. So I kind of feel like all they really have to do is get them married, and that's really it. I mean, Spock doesn't have to drive T'Pring away. So, yeah. I think he has to give her a reason to do what she does in a mock time. Right, cheating on him or taking up with Chapel while married to her could definitely be it, or while right, you know, 
And I wonder now if they're taking time apart, how are they, why are they going to still get married? Or maybe by doing the ceremony, is it, is it sealed, so to speak, and there's no reversing it? Well, this is sort of on brand with, even though the original series is obviously the first one, we've seen this on Enterprise. We've seen, there was that, was it the first season? Where T'Pol was going to be married, going to marry somebody, another Vulcan. Mm. And then it came up again in the fourth season. So there was going to be some kind of a, you know, long distance marriage, if you will. So, I mean, obviously, if you're going to go by canon, you got to go by the original series, right? I mean, Enterprise is sort of following the original series as well. But this is in that same way, sort of doing the same thing that enterprise was sort of carrying through which was vulcans can be married but they don't they don't necessarily have to be physically in the same space together all the time right yeah it's interesting i'm i'm curious to see how this will go down and i hope we will see something to explain to prince actions and I think what's sort of what continues to surprise me is once again how prevalent Tapring has been on this show. That wasn't even something that I had thought of when this series was announced. So I actually remember thinking that when we saw her in the pilot episode, that was going to be it. But. She's been on the show a handful of times. I mean, I, I don't I don't have the episode count in front of me, but I, I at least I think like at least five episodes. I think like for every like three or four episodes, she's in, she's there somewhere. And she's had some major roles in episodes. This one, for example, right. Uh, one thing I have to say is the actress who plays Tupring does a great job of you know keeping true to the sixties performance, but making the character more because it was a very hollow performance in the 60s. But so right. keep it, but also making her interesting enough. The actress's name, if you want to know, is Gaia Sandu. Sandu. Um, but yeah, I think you're right because like many characters we've seen on the original series, whether main cast or recurring or just guest, Strange New Worlds has really provided a lot of new life has really breathed new life into these characters and really has begun have begun to develop them quite well i mean we only saw to pring once before this on the original series and that was kind of it i mean she may have been i can't think of a time but she may have been referenced in dialogue but we never saw her again not even in the not even in the films obviously so i think it's a that she's a terrible manipulator right and you want to see, you're still curious about how they actually get there. Like, you're kind of, is it like... I can't reconcile this to bring with that to bring, I guess. Yeah, something, you think something still has to happen in order to get us, yeah. to get yeah. us there. I, I mean, also, she's a, the character, she's not likable. Both Vulcans are really likable. But yeah. I enjoy seeing the character. Well, and I gotta say, like, even the actress who plays to I mean... And I would say even more broadly, the people who just the people who have played Vulcans on this show, specifically to Pring's mother, 
I mean, they play Vulcans so well on this show. I mean, I've said it many times. I mean, I think Ethan Peck is an okay Spock, but he's a fantastic Vulcan. Mm. Some were a little taken aback. Again, I saw with various fan reactions that T'Pring's mother specifically seemed to embody the same attitude that Vulcans had during Enterprise, meaning, you know, they're not crazy about humans. They don't like their customs. They don't like, they even, they even revisit like, and Spock kind of revisits revisits it early in the episode, which is established on Enterprise that Vulcans don't like the way humans smell, which I thought was a really nice touch. We haven't seen that in a while. We haven't seen that in a long time. Yeah. And I thought that was just, I thought that for Enterprise at the time, I thought that was just kind of a joke because T'Pol was the only Vulcan on the Enterprise. So it kind of, I didn't think that would be something they would ever revisit again. It was just, but they revisited it several times on Enterprise, but um, not something I would have expected to be carried through out the show. I figured they would have had some sort of, you know, I think they have them on Enterprise. They say like a nasal numbing agent or something like that, right? But I, what's what I find, I like that they, brought those types of Vulcans back because when the Vulcans on Enterprise were first shown and again they were a little ambivalent toward humans they were a little you could say mean fans didn't really like that because they didn't seem like the Vulcans of later of the original series or the uh, later shows and it's like well because they weren't the Vulcans of that time I mean it made sense in context and one of the points I made to somebody is I said look we don't know how old to Pring's mother is okay. She could be a Vulcan from that time period, but also, if you think about it, it's a mother protective of her daughter who doesn't really care for the one that she's being married. It doesn't even have to. It, it's the fact that like Spock is half human, right? That's probably. I mean, but it, maybe not. It could. I mean, I'm, I feel like she could have been that way towards another full-blooded Vulcan for all we know. It's just a mother right. being protective of the of her child, and not being a fan of the person this child of hers wants to marry. And I do think that our view of Vulcans is colored by how much most fans love Spock. Right. But most Vulcans are not like Spock. Most Vulcans even reject Spock. Most Vulcans, I think Vulcans kind of should be a little, a little terrible, a little well, off. And they go into it a little bit in this too, which kind of surprised me because like, Spock, the idea of Spock being half human, half Vulcan, and that being a sort of being disadvantaged by having that. To my recollection, that idea was first introduced to me, despite the fact that I've watched Trek my whole life. My first time, the first instance of that that I can recall being like, oh, yeah, I guess so, was in the 2009 film even though it's an alternate timeline, but they sort of introduced that idea. That was the first time I became aware of it. Maybe they had done it before and I just didn't notice. But the fact of using Spock's half-human side is disadvantaging him. He got, If you recall, he got accepted to the Vulcan Science Academy in that film. And the Vulcan High Council said to him, you know, it's amazing what you've accomplished despite your disadvantage, I think was the exact line. And that kind of made him angry and he rejected acceptance and went to starfleet academy right and discovery picked it up also discovery picked it up in the prime timeline which there was that flashback where i think where michael calls him 
what did she say? Like you, I think she says like you weird little half breed or half breed is what she said. And I think she precedes it by saying you weird little half breed. And they come back to that here, which was surprising, but in context, I think it worked. I think it was very, very effective. Yeah, I thought, I thought it worked great. And then we, we got to see something very interesting that I don't know. I think it's been implied his relationship with his mother and what it means, but those scenes were fantastic with his mom and him coming to realize all that she sacrificed to raise yep. him and how much she cared for him and wanted to see him uh, integrate right. into in society. Well, I mean, first of all, it was great to see his mother again. I mean, I, I we can't see Sarah at least. I mean, we could probably can, but they don't. Have, they can't be on screen together. Right. But I always suspected that she would come back, and I'm glad they retained the same actress because I feel like the show is sort of lightly pretending discovery doesn't <laughs> didn't happen or something like that, you know. But yeah, yeah. um like Mia Kirshner is the actress. What I one of the things I and this is again another example of what Strange New Worlds has been doing really well with some of these legacy characters is that I love how they go into this idea that Amanda is not just some human living with Vulcans. She's actually learned kind of how to be Vulcan. She's learned some techniques. She knows how to carry things that are really, really hot. She knows some, I just, that's not something I would have considered that she had done. We've not seen that demonstrated before, because again, even though we'd seen Amanda a handful of times in the, you know, we saw her in the original series and then again in Star Trek four, um, we don't know. We didn't know that about her, and I like that the show has given us a little bit more about who she actually is and what her life is like on Vulcan. It's like she's learned how to appease Vulcans. She kind of knows right. what they want to hear, right? And she knows how to deflect any conflict by just saying the thing that they want to hear, right? And she's because Spock doesn't accept that she kind of tries to steer him in that direction and he doesn't accept it and i think it's great that he doesn't do that until after he's returned to his half vulcan right. half form then he speaks up so i think that makes it much more powerful it's not just the fact that he's all human and can't control his emotions right and and she's got some like even though she's human she's adapted she embodies some of that she's got some of that vulcan sass to her which i like Yes, and she doesn't. She does not use contractions. Yes, right. So yeah, like you know, someone goes to England for a semester and they come back and they've got a little accent. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those. But things. The, but you're but it makes total sense, and that that's something I never would have considered. I mean, I obviously I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about who Amanda Grayson was, but if this show is going to go into that and present that to me, I'm thinking, yeah, that's. It's giving us some additional layers to Amanda that she that that Trek never really has given us before. So I truly appreciate them them doing that. Um, but I just love the idea of not only her coming aboard and having to sort of like her along with the rest of the crew are sort of like reteaching human Spock just enough Vulcan st- stuff to get by. Like they're sort of like prepping him for this it's like it's perfect sitcom like sitcom farce like it's it's heading in that direction like we just gotta we gotta get you ready because you we don't want you to get caught you know yeah. i think you said last week it's like when the boss comes over or something and yeah, for dinner and you, dinner, it's gotta go perfect but like right. you burn the roast or something 
Well, it it because it it made me think of like you know some of my favorite episodes of Frasier are the first episodes, but like what I like about that is like, and I and I and I actually could have seen it happening on this show, and I think it would have worked really well. It's like one person tells a lie, and then it just escalates and escalates, and every time a new person enters the scene. There's always the threat of the deception collapsing. So they got to like stop them and get them aside and like tell them. And so like there's always like there's always some outside threat coming in, outside person coming in that brings unintentionally brings a threat to the entire deception. Mm. So I do wonder because I thought about this when the episode when they when they successfully got through the the ceremony with Tipring's family. What if they actually did not succeed? What if Spock actually messed up? In a way, he they didn't succeed. Yeah. He revealed it. Well, he revealed but, it by saying, yeah. I guess that was after, given the ceremonial, the way they, they take ceremony seriously. Yeah. I guess for them, the fact that the ceremony was concluded, you can't do anything about it after it's concluded. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I think for me, I was sitting there because, again, like a farce episode of Frasier, I'm sitting there as a viewer waiting like somebody's going to come in and wreck this. Some, something's going to happen. And there was that moment where T'Pring's mother was sort of at, towards the end of the ceremony was kind of was sort of laying into Spock and you could see him, you know, getting ready to to burst. And I was actually afraid in that moment he was going to. Mm. It was a great cover that said muscle spasms are part of his injury, so right. that any expressions can be written off to muscle spasms. Right. That was good. Um, it, the other thing that's great is that the fact that his mom is coaching him, and as you said, his mom has become an expert at this, acting Vulcan. So, right. in a way, she's just imparting her lifetime of knowledge on him. Well, it also, her doing that also made me think about when he was younger how much of a role she actually played in because remember he's half human half Vulcan but he's chosen the Vulcan way of life how instrumental was his own mother in getting him to choose that way of life right was that a choice he made and she just or you know was he raised like that I mean I know Discovery Mm. I haven't gone back and watched many of those scenes on Discovery when he's or really any of them when he's a child and I don't really think it gives us too much insight but it just made me think about what that would have been like. How much of a role did his mother play in him choosing that Vulcan way of life? Now that we know that she's able to sort of coach him. Yeah, so she certainly did encourage him, given that the mind melt memory was him first being accepted by the yeah. Vulcan kids. Yeah. Um, and speaking of mind melts, so I said to you earlier, like I had several moments where I was just laughing out loud, and that was one of them when they were trying to do that do that mind meld. There was it's when he was saying when he says like my mind, your mind, he's like he's yelling it. He just can't seem to say it right. And like when he's <laughs> it's like it's very subtle. Like he yells it and you see like his mother, Amanda, like kind of get a little startled by the whole thing, and then she's like, she kinda she's like she gets startled, then she gets a little irritated, and then you just see like Pike and number one are just sitting there like, oh, geez. Now, what did she say? Like, now you sound now you sound a little pushy. And then, or she's saying like, and then yeah, she's saying. Like, you stop grinding your teeth. Right? Or saying, uh, you look constipated. I'm trying to see if I can see your memories. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was, that was well done. Yeah. It was, um, 
and you know the other one of course was what i was saying earlier what i was saying earlier was when spock like screams at george kirk to put to clean up his mess and you have like the two officers restraining him yeah so i like he said don't test me kirk i will end you <laughs> right i thought that yeah so there was a lot of that in this episode that i just that i just really loved um i don't know if you caught this when i i didn't catch it until like my third viewing so when amanda comes aboard pike greets her and one of the first things he says to her was uh pelia sends her regards so spock's mother knows the chief engineer oh okay yeah, yeah I, I heard that but i didn't know I, I didn't know who it was oh you didn't know that was her no yeah. wait so who's pelia the carol kane oh okay yeah. We didn't see her this episode. We didn't see her. We haven't seen her in a couple weeks. We haven't seen her since tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. We can't afford Carol Kane every time. Right. Getting ready for that taxi reunion, I guess. So what what did you think of just I guess Nurse Chapel's subplot, really? I mean, the the arc was her trying to get accepted into a Vulcan it was like a research program, I believe, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. And then she's very, yeah, she still it begins. She's practicing for a test. Yep. And then, you know, they, of course, they very um, arrogantly brush aside her application. Yep. As and Vulcans so, would. And then, yep. And then she rejects them uh, after she actually does save Spock because she yep. that's a big deal. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I liked it. I don't know why she won't thought she would ever get into a Vulcan Research Institute anyway. But I did like the, the art that she went on of like wanting that thing and then realizing it's not all it's cracked up to be and then rejecting yeah. it and realizing she's better off doing her own. They name-dropped Roger Corby. So she's quizzed on Corby's three principles of archaeological medicine. Roger Corby is the guy who she has a, who she gets into a relationship with later on. And that's who they go looking for in the TOS episode. What are little girls made of? So, and fans have been asking Akiva Goldsman since the first season, because when it seemed like, Oh, they're heading in some Spock chapel. Will they, won't they thing? It's like, what about, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about Roger Corby? And, Somebody tweeted at it, and Akiva Goldsman's like, he he actually said, he says, "Don't worry, we haven't forgotten." Yeah, it's like a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing. Like someone knows that one fact, and then they they just want to, yeah. Oh, I didn't think about it. But it's like nobody knows when they got together. Does it? That's see, and that's the problem. Is that there's enough ambiguity there that you can sort of decide when it happens because the original series is not very explicit with a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. Yes, they had a relationship. Okay, well, when though? Yes. I mean, for all we know, at least in the beginning of the series, that relationship could have had could have come and gone already. But I think Strange New Worlds is going to potentially show it at some point. So. Right. I gotta say though, I liked watching her subplot. I really like the actress Jess Bush who plays her, and it's funny. I can't really. It sounds weird to say this, but I can't really compare her to Majel because I feel like, you know, Majel's great. 
let's let's you know i mean she's a great lux on a troy but i yeah. I, I gotta say i've got i i you know f- downvote me into oblivion people on reddit i guess but but nurse chapel's a very wooden on the original series she's a very it's a very wooden performance there's some good stuff don't get me wrong but overall like it's not a very strong character and so for me to say oh jess jess bush doesn't play her correctly or doesn't play like it's not even a consideration i mean jess bush it's she's playing the character but it might as well be a new character because we're we have not gotten this much development for this character jess bush may have more screen time at this accumulated by now more than majel does and you know what I would say about jess bush's performance and even Ethan Peck's as human Spock a little bit. They're just a little bit too modern for me. Yeah. That's not the first time I've heard this. Yeah. So when you think about um, Una, right? Yep. Somehow Una has been able to do it without seeming too modern. Right. Um, Played by the same actress, by the way. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah, another. Yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> right. Um, but uh, yeah, Rebecca. Romaine. Rebecca Romaine, yeah. 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 Rebecca Romaine somehow is able to to bridge that that sixties performance and this performance better. Agreed. And I I after we did the episode where she was on trial, I, I regretted the fact that I didn't bring this up. But I think Rebecca Romaine plays that character fantastically. Like she's so good on the show and just so good as that as that character so i'm i just wanted to kind of put that out there so i just had it out there in the ether but you're right i think she she somehow manages to retain the feel that number one had in the in the cage despite the fact that we don't there aren't too too many scenes with her yes and where bush doesn't seem to attempt it at all i think you know what it is i because i feel like just bush there's like a there's a playfulness to her performance that Majel doesn't you that Majel doesn't play, I guess. And well, again, and you know, I, I keep coming back to the word sass, but there's also a little bit of sassiness there. And I but I get what you mean. Like there is she in a way she does feel a little too modern. But I got. But I got to say too, there are moments, and there were moments in this episode. I thought, where I did feel like I saw the Majel version of Chapel come through a little bit, the stiffness, the kind of quiet reserve. Right, I feel like I saw hints of that more so in this episode. Hmm. And it so, could be that, you know, if we want to make it make sense, it could be that, you know relationship with spock ends badly and she kind of shuts down and says you know what in my with my enterprise experience it's going to be work it's going to be work yeah. private it's going to be private life so i'm going to be more standoffish more professional well and once again I may, nurse chapel i believe is most heavily featured in the episode what are little girls made of and so she's i mean she's the second player to that to william shatner in that episode so I would almost want to go back and look at that and see how does she play 
the character in that episode versus how she does in throughout most of the episodes, which is just, yes, doctor, of course, doctor. And, you know, I mean, she's a little bit more than that in some episodes, but like she's most prominently featured in that one. So I think if we want to really, if we felt the need to compare performances, I would probably go, that'd probably be the first one I'd go to. Once again, like the original series, I like that we had these non-corporeal aliens that, when they spoke, had a little bit of that like '60s echo to them, and um. But so, I thought that it was trying to get in touch with someone at your like uh, electric provider when you're on the phone, and they say, "You right. know." Yeah, uh, that was funny. Actually, <laughs> press two for. New service, press three. What does she say? Like this was, yeah. She says something. They say something like that's like that's like very perfectly customer servicey. It was like remediation has been made. It's something like that. Like it's something. Remediation has been made. No, no further contact is required. I think it's that. It's something like that. Yeah. It was like your inquiry has been. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was something like that. Um. Remediation has been made. No further contact is necessary. Yellow and blue were their names, which which was uh, which was I thought was very interesting. Yes. Are they alive or are they dead? They're alive. Then there's no further contact is necessary. Yes, that was very good. It was like the frustration you get trying to use a computerized operator. Right. But yeah, I mean, in the end, they were still left with the question of well what does this mean leading into a mock time i still think there's a lot that can happen between now and then i I, i'm not expecting there to be like one particular particular episode that'll say okay this is where it ends and then we'll pick it up again come a mock time i like i said i developing sir we're gonna see a lot more of the chapel situation I do wonder, though, because we we still have that business of Cybok somewhere. And, yeah. and that's going to involve Supreme because Supreme was involved. Right. See, that was holding him or something. I'm still. See, that's the one thread that's still. But like, I want that to come back. Like, when when is that going to come back? I'm sure they have plans for it. I'm I don't not, think I'm not concerned that they've forgotten about it. It's too big. Oh no, I'm not concerned that they've forgotten about it. I just I don't want like Okay, you know, there's a potential for a Gorn, a war with the Gorn here. Okay, fine. Whatever. <laughs> but like I'm I am more interested in that in Cybok. I'm not that excited about a war with the Gorn. No, I I I I because and luckily they've not really touched upon it again yet but um that was the one thing at the beginning of the season when they sort of hinted that hinted at that i was like oh i'm like oh okay yes we just had a klingon war now we're getting another one here like yeah i think star trek is at its least interesting when it's doing wars well yeah i mean it's it's why i'm not a huge fan of the dominion war story in ds9 because i know that you know, you can get into the political and the religious stuff behind all of it, but I just thought to myself, like that. But that's not like and with, with the the with that Gorn. There's no political or religious stuff. They're just right. You know, How do like, you make it interesting? We have Michael Myers's with spaceships. Well, also, and I, 
I don't like to be a continuity gatekeeper, right? It's really, like I said, it's really more about the big stuff. And this, in a way, could be considered something small. But if, let's say, I mean, we don't even know if they're gonna, if there is going to be a war. There's just the threat of it. I mean, there's, there's always the threat of war somewhere, I guess. But let's say, for the sake of argument, there is one. I then wonder about Arena later on. Because even though it's not explicitly stated that this is a first contact situation, the episode kind of treats it like it is. And I just feel like there would be context there for them to bring up a war that we had with the Gorn years ago, right? Even though we know, you know, you can't technically do that because we know that that series was yeah. produced first. But then, so yeah, then don't so don't use things you can't use. Right. Uh, I wonder if it'll be a secret war <laughs> where only certain parts of a shadow war. Yeah, a shadow war, like a Section Thirty One war or something. You know, I don't know, not specifically Section Thirty One, but well, kind of like not like the Klingon war that everyone knows about. More like, um, let me think of a secret war. The, US. the changelings when DS the changelings when the DS nine when they when they thought they were infiltrating. I mean that in a way was kind of like a secret war, right? Yeah. Before yeah. the Dominion War actually broke out, but when the Dominion when the changelings were sort of infiltrating and there was that paranoia, I mean that was kind of yeah. like a secret war, I guess, right? Yeah. Or like when they that was interesting at the very like least. Iran, Iran in the nineteen fifties when the U.S. would send in like agents to mix with the locals and convince them to overthrow their own government and get the yeah. leader out like some kind of like a clandestine or covert operation yeah instead, which wouldn't make sense because they they're just killing machines so yeah yeah that's make- that's not that's a thread that's like the one thread on the show that i'm just not to your point like that's not interesting because like they're it's like it's like going to war with the borg Right, because it's not. It's just, yeah. The Borg yeah. were like this overwhelming force, and it was There's no clash of ideologies. There's no, you know, nothing to negotiate. There's no d- diplomacy right. to be. Had. It's just, yeah, we will get your babies. <laughs> then that's it. Well, and especially because what we've seen of the Gorn outside of Arena, like to your to your point, like it's just rather than being a species that they can speak to they're more of like a like it was that it was the episode where hammer died right i mean that episode we may have made comparisons to it at the time i don't recall but that was like alien that's what it felt like yeah and it's like this unseen force like alien or jaws right like you can't it's something you can't reason with and so that's that's unless, good for an episode, but how do you make a whole? Yeah, unless the purpose of this war is to make it all that more remarkable that Kirk is able to reason with Ignorant later. Maybe, but that just seems like quite a big yeah. swing. Because simply Kirk for is that, able to reason. Kirk is able to reason with Ignorant. Well, he doesn't though. He he's about to kill it, and then the Metrons <laughs> reveal to him that it was all just a. Oh, so he never even convinces the Gorn to lay off? No. 
No, oh, he okay. he fires the well, cannon, the, the handmade <laughs> cannon at the Gorn. He's about to deliver the final blow, and he refuses to kill him. He says, I'm not going to do this for your amusement. Oh, uh, yeah. So then, no, there's no reason for any of this. Right. So I... I'll say one thing. If they do it, I don't want it to be... I guess, in a way, treat it less like Discovery treated the Klingon War. Like, it's happening somewhere in the background and maybe just come back to it every every so often one episode and just get us in and get us out right make it a skirmish don't make it a war make it a skirmish yes and somehow they avert war at the last moment right so we'll see but i back to the original point is as we sort of build up to what we eventually get in a mock time, I do question if if Cybok is even related to that at all. I doubt it. I'm just I guess I'm just associating him with it because it's another it's just another Vulcan in the arc of this of Spock's life. And so and it's definitely something that we'll need to bring forward. What if she cheats on Spock with Cybok? Uh no, that'd be awful. Yeah. One thing I do have to say about Spock, you know, his relationship, they said they're going to take a break for a good 90 seconds before he was making out with Chapel. Yeah. It seemed. So that's, you know, that's that's something. Hmm. You know what? I, it was quite effective at the end that I didn't get until my second viewing is that Spock and Chapel have very similar scenes where they stand up to. Vulcanism, essentially, both of them do separately. Yeah. Spock tells off to Pring's mom about her condescension towards humans and mistreating of, um, you know, Spock and his mom. And at just about the same time, Chapel is telling off the uh, admissions officer at the Vulcan Institute. Hmm. So I thought that was interesting. It, it, it bound those two characters together in a in another way. Yeah, I can see that. That's yeah, I like that observation a lot actually. Thank you. Okay. So just a couple of um, odds and ends here. I got to give it to Anson Mount, who again is being used sparingly this season. Yeah. Um, but he had some nice, he's got some good comic timing, I would say. So one of the scenes I particularly liked is when, um, although this may have been more the editing, but Tupring's mother starts when they do the timer of criticism. And the first thing she says, you Spock are a disappointment. And it cuts to Pike and he kind of makes a face and takes a drink. <laughs> and uh, that was a laugh out loud moment for me. That was very well done. Uh, one more is... Oh, the eating. Just the way he was eating the bacon, and then later he was eating fruit the same way. He walked over yep. to the fruit and started kind of shoving one piece after the other. Well, so that so going back to that Voyager episode I mentioned, um, I don't know if you watched it, Body and Soul. I did watch it, yes. It was quite enjoyable. It was like when Seven was eating the cheesecake, mm-hmm. and the, and she's like amazed by it, and the, guy, the guy's like, is this the first time you've tried that? And she's like, well, no, of course not, but you know, it actually it actually was so yeah, did you enjoy I mean, Ryan uh, great actor because that was fantastic she, she mm. embodied 
the doctor so well in that episode. Well, I wanted to ask you. So, yeah, tell me if you can. I know it's just a weird moment to do so, but what did you think of that of that episode? I thought it was great. And the thing that stood out to me the most was Jerry Ryan yeah. able to so perfectly get Robert Picardo down. But as seven. Did it did done in like a seven of nine way. She still retained, yeah. 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 Very, very into an enjoyable episode and great performance. It's a great it's one of my favorites. It's such a great episode. So for continuity, as I said, there's not this episode doesn't really explicitly tie to anything other than just a mock time. But so nothing really jumped out. I mean, I would say the biggest one for me is just the reference to Roger Corby, who, again, is the person that we see um, later on in the original series. So it's certainly teeing, teeing that up, um, obviously seeing Amanda again. We've not seen her. I was trying to think in my mind when we last saw her and it was in such sweet sorrow discovery. I mean, that was, Oh wow. That was four years ago. I think it was 2019 yeah. that episode did. So that was, yeah, that right. was four years ago. We last saw her. I didn't even realize it was, it had become such, I became so familiar with her as Amanda that it just was very seamless. Well, yeah. I mean, she, and it feels so long ago too, but I mean, she, if you recall in those early days, I mean, she was fairly prominent on discovery. I mean, she, I don't know. I don't know what her exact episode count was, but she was there enough that she felt like a continually recurring role. That once they made that, and that, and she was one. Her and Sarek. I mean, that was one of the things I was really going to miss about them leaping into the future because I liked, I liked it having that connection to to Trek lore, and I just felt like that was. I liked it. We got a lot of Sarek. We did. We did quite quite a lot of Sarek. Um, so I was glad that they did bring her back and I do hope they bring Sarek back. Like I said, Spock and Sarek can't see each other, but there's no reason why we can't have a scene with the two with Sarek and Amanda on Vulcan. So like we can see him. Spock just can't see him. Yeah. And if we're dealing with Spock's brother, that could very well be another reason to see Sarek. See, and that's the, see, and that's what I want. That's what I'm curious about. Like, it's it's not just about what are they going to do with Cyborg, but I want I want to know more about that family dynamic. That's yeah. I, I like that's a that's a hole I really want to see the show fill up, right? So, because Sarek doesn't mention Cyborg in the films either. I mean, we see Sarek in. I mean, after five, we see him in six, but obviously, there's no. They never reference events in five, so. I'm curious how Sarah, how Cyborg exists within, you know, how does he live in their daily lives? Does he at all, right? Right. And I think the show is in a really unique position to show us that. The convenience of Vulcans is that you can just make it that they never talk about him or talk to him, and it's not really that strange. That's how everyone, that's, that's how I was continually justifying the existence of Michael. Is yes. that it was demonstrated, I don't know how many times that yeah. Spock only and any Vulcan talks about their family, anything when it's relevant. They don't volunteer information unless it's relevant didn't, to do so. Didn't Kirk meet his dad before he told Kirk it was his dad? Yes. When standing right there in Journey yeah, to Babel, yeah, when yeah. Journey to Babel, and I said that, I said when Spock, when Sarek and Amanda. He's brought on as Ambassador Sarek. So 
I'll just take two seconds here. The Enterprise is in orbit of Vulcan. Kirk mentions that to Spock, like, if you want to go down and see your parents, you know, you can do so, right? Later on, Sarek then comes aboard by shuttle. He's standing right there, and Kirk mm. says, did you want... I think he actually, I think he says it for the first time there. He says, do you want... And he's already introduced to Ambassador Sarek, and he says, oh, yeah. do you want to go down and see your parents? And he says, Ambassador Sarek <laughs> is yeah. my father. And, like, it's like this, you know... So yeah, Kirk dumbfounded at how weird Spock is. Right. I mean, here's the thing, right? That aspect of Vulcans came out of the use of dramatic effect. All right. That's used simply for dramatic effect on the show. But now, but now that's, it's written into continuity. That's just how Vulcans yeah. are. And just to show how different they are from humans. From right. Human. Absolutely. 100%. And yeah. even, and right. But here's the thing, right? Even, but it's even before that. Because Journey to Babel is season two. Amok time is beginning of the season. He doesn't mention to Pring until she's on screen and says, that's my wife. He doesn't yeah. even talk about to having a wife or to Pring. Yeah, and he won't even talk about um, Ponfar until he has to. Right, and again, why? Dramatic effect. But, and because Vulcans are weirdos. But it became a characteristic of Vulcans. Yes, they don't, and they that's don't what, share unless they have to or it's necessary for productivity and that's where i say to people who were complaining about burnham i go do you people even watch star trek yeah why would we yeah this is not gonna be like let me tell you a, a lovely story of my adopted sister but i'll tell you one thing i'll tell you one thing when spock spock's katra was inside mccoy you can bet your ass that mccoy knows who cybok is who knows who knows who michael burnham is and then it was yeah. and then Later on, years later, Spock mind melded with Picard. So Picard knows who Michael Burnham is. Picard knows who McCoy is, or um, Sar yeah, uh, Cybok is. Well, what's McCoy going to be like? You had a human sister? I know. <laughs> well, again, where's the context for it? So, yeah. Well, Spock was in charge in there, in the brain. He you was. Know, he meant to hold things back. Well, so I thought so. To wrap it up, I I did enjoy this episode quite a bit. I thought it was. Um, I don't know if it's one of my favorites, but I didn't. I did. I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. It was just nice to have a good comedy episode for a change, and having it focus on Spock and his attempts to try to pass off as a Vulcan when he's really. Mm -hmm human um it also was a comedy episode but it also was one where his engagement is broken off yeah and he finally tells his mom how much she really appreciates him also. yet it was a comedy episode so yeah that's an interesting one well and i should mention because i forgot to mention this in the great tradition of star trek i like that it in trying to hide vulcan in this case hiding human ears he put the cap over his head to hide his ears just like they you know but the irony of it all is that they do they in the past they did it to hide the points now he's doing it yeah. to conceal his human ears yeah he said he was chinese <laughs> well he did it in there then he you know in voyage home he had the tied around it. and that but tuvok had a cap on his head in future's end so i like that they uh continue it's always no. funny to me how like they can 
they've clearly demonstrated like in many episodes they can easily surgically alter somebody but vulcans are just gonna throw they just throw a cap over their head and say just don't bother you know, it's very funny. Their excuse. Well, I guess it was quick thinking when Amanda was there. They didn't have any time. But they right. said, uh, "Oh, it's regulation," <laughs> and it, that was right. And of course, the mother always knows, so she knew. So before we wrap, I know there was one thing you wanted to you wanted to discuss regarding the strike that's going on. I think it's been interesting to see that some Star Trek actors um, chiming in on the uh, the actor strike. Right yeah, now. yeah. Uh, I know. I saw Michelle Hurd, who plays Rafi, saying that she's the type of actress that sometimes can't um, pay her bills. Yeah. So that was interesting to see, knowing that you know someone we've seen for years on Law and Order. But she said those actresses of her tier that you see their face and you're like, oh, I know them from somewhere. So most of those type of actors, even them, they are not financially secure which is probably surprising to the rest of us to yeah. hear. Well, it's... So, I haven't... I, I will admit, I've, I haven't really been seeking out a lot of news on the strike or following everything, but I, I get bits and pieces of it here and there. And, you know, one of the things that is really jumping out to me is kind of jump off your point is the pay, right? So, there's two things, right? Think about these TV shows. We're, we're watching Strange New Worlds. We're, we were watching Picard. Like, we're not dealing, we're not in a 26 episode a season world anymore, right? So they're only doing 10 episodes. I mean, I don't know what they get paid, but obviously it cannot, I don't think they adjust that, right, for a shorter amount of episodes. I mean, they're only doing 10 a year now, yeah, right? Most actors are not in every episode. Right. And I may be wrong about this, but I don't think, you know they may spend like six seven eight months shooting a 10 episode season i could be wrong about this i think they only get paid per episode so it doesn't matter like how long you may be on set for you're just getting paid for that one episode that you're in right right it's not yeah six months of your life right the the other one that i read about which i found far more disturbing is so a lot of what the protesting is the use of AI, right? Mm-hmm. And so one story I was reading about was the use of background actors, right? So you take a show like maybe this one, maybe a show like Game of Thrones, where you, where you would have a where you'd have a large amount of background actors, extras, who make who make a living off being extras on shows. They want to do it now so that you as an extra come in you're scanned and then they use your, and then they basically build an AI model of you and they then use you in perpetuity throughout yeah. the rest of the season. But you were only paid for that one day. And they you, said, yeah, there was only $200 you were going to get. And it's like, hold on a second. You're using my body. You're using me. Like you're using my likeness. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. But you know, something and, like voiceover acts go through the same thing. If someone is a, you know, if you're like a struggling actor and you're trying to break in and maybe you're a waiter or something and, and it's like 200 bucks, like at least my face is on the show, you know, a lot of people probably would go for it because right. it's like, so yeah, to, to make it so you can't do those sorts of things. And also, um, LeVar Burton's daughter, who said that being on Picard, she was paid the same as her father got for being in Roots in miniseries in the 1976, I believe, right? 77, yeah. Yeah. 
uh, that's you know forty five years ago, and wow. the pay it's the same, which really means it's gone down because of inflation and, and whatnot. It's really sad, and it really is a lot of these jobs that are kind of um, what's the right word desired by a lot of people. I think yeah. companies and the powers that be realize like a lot of people want to do this. We can pay less and less over time because you know people want to act, people want to do these different jobs. So we'll just pay them less, and we'll pay them less, and people will, will still be showing up to do it because when we when we saw Star Wars Rogue One, that was my first time seeing a movie where they basically brought somebody back from the dead. So I, Peter Cushing, Peter Cushing, right? Mm-hmm. Use it. I mean, there was an actor who was in place of him, and they just sort of like, you know, made him, they sort of digitally altered his face to look more like Peter Cushing. But it was my first time ever seeing that done before. Mm-hmm. And I remember at that time thinking, and this is like, what, when did that come out? 16, 2016? And I remember thinking to myself, how long is it going to be until we see like Star Trek, the original series, season four, with fully. AI'd with a fully AI'd cast, right? And we saw the um, Harrison Ford that you know it's come a long way. Harrison Ford looked a, in the most right. recent Indiana Jones looked a lot better than his voice did not though. Right, but in yeah. his face, hell, it looked great. So, yeah, and I I wondered like how long is it going to be until like you don't even use an actor at all? You just need somebody to, and you just need a good. It'd be the body and then you need someone somebody to imitate them or you just again you pull existing audio from and then you train an ai yeah right i mean it's it's i use a i mean i use chat gpt and i've used some ai but i use it as a tool all right we are not but of course like this is hollywood and they want to use it as any way to sort of like cut costs wherever they can and it's it's just like we're not responsible enough with this kind of technology because you just people are just going to be using it in my opinion you know for greed like things like that and in reading more about the strike the other day what i was also reading about which i didn't even really think about are some of these other ramifications of like so like you say you have a studio right you have all of these local businesses nearby whether it's you know restaurants or maybe like Uber or Lyft drivers taking actors to the studio. If these actors are not going to the studio, if they are not going to the studio as often, Mm. right? Because think of like those dramas or like even those sitcoms that do however many episodes a season. I mean, they're going, you know, they may go to they may go catering or they may go to some local business nearby to get food, any or anything like that. Or the crew needs to go anything to rely on those local businesses. If if people are not at the studio as as often as they used to be. I mean, those businesses who depend on the studio people to come in and purchase their goods, purchase their food, I mean, it brings them down. So it hurts, it really hurts the local economy as well. And it's like you really see the ripple effect that this is causing. And I mean, it's 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 very disturbing, I find. Is. And I really think that any time, which is any most businesses where you have 
shareholders who just expect you need to maximize the profit so that my shares will be worth more money. And that that's becomes the most important uh, mission of the company then everyone else suffers for it because how do you achieve that? Well, you can make your product more successful. Right. And it's harder to do. That's, you know, takes a bit of luck and, uh, you know, well, a lot of factors have to come together, but the easiest thing you can do is just pay people less. And then you have more money to send to the shareholders. And I think that that's really what, most of these problems come from is maximizing money for shareholders by taking it out of the pocket. Well, and I think it's also, I think a real problem that because a lot of these movies, it used to be that a lot of these movie studios were just movie studios and now they're owned by these larger corporations who only see where movies are now just a number on, are just numbers on a ledger or all they just see are, you know, Yes. It's just, just another business, like um, whatever it is. Yeah, we sell toasters over here and we make movies over here. It's, right. You know, make, keep the money coming. It's, just it's cut sad. down on the cost of the, making the toaster. And so we make money on every toaster. I've seen things written where people say, you know, AI, like people freaked out when email came. They thought it was the end of the post office. And they, maybe. Okay, I, I sort of remember that, but I just, I see, and maybe there was some ignorance there, but like, on my part, but like, this feels like a threat to me, because I can see certain aspects of what I do being, it just, and it just, because it goes so far beyond, it's like email, I could see like people getting freaked out about that, but that's, that would, that would have specifically targeted mail. This is like everything. Yes, and this- now it's like the the problem is that the 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 jobs that used to be threatened by technology were more physical jobs like truck drivers. When you have driverless cars, truck drivers will be out of business. Or you have self checkouts, so that's going to put baggers out of business. The part of the economy that seemed safe was the uh, the creative side of it. Right. And now this is encroaching on that. I mean, most of the things that I can do, and AI can do also now writing well and what's like knowing things about history i guess if you think of a company and a company has a company has like values that they want to you know an ai is not going to be able to strategize and come up with like that that right there's still a lot of like human thought that goes into that but the point i keep making is that 25 percent of the humans that do the thinking with ai that's still but the point i keep making is like yeah, it can't do that now, but it's like it's only going to get better over time. And there needs to be, in my opinion, there needs to be some kind of regulations in place here so that it doesn't. Because, yeah. I mean, this could be it's a great technology, but it's just not, in my opinion, some of it's just not being used responsibly. Yeah. And the unions are the best ones to. I mean, I, you know. Washington, D.C. obviously they can't regulate pick the bag right now. So I think, yeah, the unions are the ones that are going to have to do it. The actors' unions, the writers' unions, the directors' unions, because they can put these demands and say, well, we're not making your movies until our demands are met. So I think this is the process that's going to be painful for a little while. But it, it this hopefully. is this is not like the strike back in 2007, 2008. And so I'll be curious to see how this, where this goes. I mean, they've... Every time they've gone on strike, I mean, in my opinion, I've I've supported their cause because 
Actors get screwed all the time, dude. All the time. And it's like, we were talking about this before we began recording. I mean, unless you're like a, you know, a Tom Hanks or a Harrison Ford. I mean, it's difficult to get by. I mean, I, those are guys I can see having like investments in other places. Like they get money from, you know, because they earned so much money making all of these, you know, billion dollar box office profits you know they're able to invest in other areas and just make additional money i don't you know i would imagine that at this point you know acting is just one of many different revenue streams that they all that they just have i mean certainly the most lucrative but and they probably and look they probably have a lot of ownership in the films that they make so do new actors get that i doubt it i doubt it I mean, it's it's almost like a pension. Who gets pensions anymore? Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and for some of the lucky few who were did things before streaming, it's like you do have a pension because you're on a sitcom that gets repeated, and you have that older style contract. You actually get a lot of money for it. Yeah. Whereas the thing I saw was some Netflix actors were showing their checks for very popular Netflix shows that they were in years ago, and they were getting like twenty dollars. Yeah. For all the streams. Which is remarkable. It's. It reminds me of um, with uh, things like Spotify. Um, I saw some of our musicians were showing that they were one musician, their band had some, you know, hundreds of thousands of streams and their one song and they got a check for like 27 cents. It's, yeah. It's, it's incredible. I, you know. Yeah. I can't even, yeah. Hopefully it'll all be resolved soon and everyone will work out well and, you know. Yeah. And if it goes longer, there's plenty of old shows and movies to watch. So. Well, with that said, next week is going to be episode six, which is called Lost in Translation. And I've got a brief plot synopsis here. It looks like it's going to be a Uhura focused episode. And it says, Uhura seems to be the only one who can hear a strange sound. When the noise triggers terrifying hallucinations, she enlists an unlikely assistant to help her track down the source. Mariner. <laughs> well, that's following. So where we are right now, I mean, we're talking about the episode where we are last week, which I had last week, but Episode seven airs next week, which is the Lower Decks crossover. But we have to get through this week, which is this episode. So um, from our point of view, the next episode we're going to be talking about next week is Lost in Translation, which is airing this week. So God, I wonder who the... Um... I don't know. I, I just I remember seeing in the trailer for season two early on, there was a scene with Uhura like stepping, standing outside what looks like a shuttle crash having crashed in like a very green area. And I I do remember that she mentioned her parent in the second episode of the show that her parents died in the shuttle crash. So I wondered if that's, if maybe that's what it was, but um, I don't know. It'll be George Kirk. Is her, uh, helps her figure it out. Hammer? The least likely character. Hammer? Hammer's dead. Well, he did say that he, it was said someplace that he was going to be back in some, that actor was going to somehow oh, be hallucinating. They did say hallucinating. Hallucinating, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. I miss him so much, dude. I don't miss. 
Oh god, I miss him so much. But that'd be that'd be nice if it was if it was Hammer. That'd be that would be uh, that would be lovely. I would I would love that. I was right. It is Hammer. So I'm looking at the page on Wikipedia. It says guest starring Bruce Horak as Hammer. Illusion. Not Jet Reno. No. No. But oh boy. So I don't know if you're gonna like this. But so I'm just looking at the guest list star list here. Paul Wesley is James T. Kirk, and then George uh, Samuel Kirk. Uh, come on, man. I will end you, Kirk! Yes. I know. Stop bringing Kirk back. Seriously. And then it'll be like, oh, no, but it was a hallucination, so it's okay. So it's, like, so it's going to be another alternate Kirk, another, like, fake Kirk. That's yeah. still shitty. Like, I just don't... Well, we don't know. Maybe this will be the real Kirk. Who knows? But that would mean that we're going to get even less Anson Mount. Like, not much Anson Mount again. Poor guy. He's getting written out of his own show. Anyway. We'll wait and see. I'm not going to... I'm not going to pass judgment. I just... I want... All I'm saying is I just want to get... I just want to get beyond this. And get beyond Kirk. This is not... This is not the James T. Kirk show. Okay? This is not... Stop using him. Please. Yeah. But let's wrap this up. People are going to get back to their kids. They're waiting for us. To their kids? Yeah. What does that mean? I don't know. Our listeners' kids are waiting for their attention to their parents, but they're too focused listening to us. You always want to know what people are doing while they're listening to us, so they want to know. All right. Well, that's going to... All right. Well, Well, since I'm being thrown off the air here, um, with that said... We'll be back next week to discuss Lost in Translation. We will see you then. Ciao.